Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to the segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is building your digital business technology platform. And our guest for today's show is Earl Newsom, who's the Vice President and Chief Information Officer with Praxair. Hey, Earl, how are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. How are you doing? Very good, sir. Life is kind, and we are enjoying the journey. So, when we talk about journey, uh, I'd say the organizations, the enterprises are on a digital journey. And when that journey started, or even now, earlier it used to be called as digital new, and we call it digital now, and where we are going is digital next, but digital is the common thread. And to make that successful, we are supposed to have a technology platform which will allow us to embed digital in the DNA of the business. But when we are looking at the technology solutions that are available or the variety, the sheer variety of that and the volume that we are looking at, it could be mind-numbing in terms of how would you build your poppery of solutions which will come together, integrate well, and serve the purpose. So what is that approach do we take to build that platform is what we are here to discuss. So uh, Earl, my first question will be, does it really require you to be an artist or a scientist to define what a technology platform should look like because of the variety, the volume, the novelty, and the disruption that is part and parcel of what digital is? That's, that's a great question. Um, I, first, I want to just kind of start to think about the, and frame your question. I love this digital now versus digital next perspective because um, it reminds me of sort of the concept of best practices versus next practices, right? And next practices are those practices which are not widely distributed or widely discovered yet. And so I think that actually applies directly here to this notion of whether it's an artist or a scientist. And I think it's much like you think about the quote about the future, it's here, but not equally distributed. I think the platform that you need um, for the digital journey is here, but not quite yet uh, fully distributed because your digital journey is going to change based upon that digital ambition of your company. So the way that I think about it is I start off with what's our digital ambition. And uh, and the digital ambition is really broken up into two components. It's around, you know, do you exploit or do you explore? The exploitation is how do I leverage things which are already delivered today and exploit those things leveraging digital technology to drive uh, better results or better outcomes for my business. The second element of this is do I explore new business models, new capabilities, et cetera, um, to achieve those cap- new and different uh, digital or digital business outcomes. And so it's, it's really understanding what your digital ambition is and what percentage of time do you spend on exploitation versus exploration. For us, we're an industrial gas company, so Praxair, uh, now Linda PLC, is a uh, uh, industrial gas company. So our focus is going to be really on exploitation, um, and then that requires probably more a scientific approach to uh, what's going to constitute the digital platform uh, than when it's an artist. And so I think when you think about am I exploiting my core competitive advantage or I'm exploring new 
business capabilities or business models, and depending on you know the eighty twenty rule, if it's eighty percent exploitation, twenty percent exploration, or twenty percent exploitation, eighty percent exploration, you know, depending on that will determine the degree of artists or scientists that you need to apply to building the digital platform. And I think once you understand that digital ambition and you know this for your company, your institution that you're trying to do it for, you craft your strategy based upon your understanding of the degree of exploration or exploitation that you have to provide. And then uh, you create the platform that best accomplishes and delivers uh, that objective. I will say uh, this fundamentally, we don't know what that platform is going to look like, and I think anybody who thinks that they do, uh, is fooling themselves. And so, you know, you're going to land on version one of it, um, but be prepared and be flexible uh, on uh, what it's going to take to achieve version two. And don't, like, don't, make, don't let any decisions you make in creating version one of that limit your ability to deliver version two, because version two is coming, that digital next is coming, um, and you just have to be prepared for it. So when you mention about version one and version two, do you think when it comes to, say, let's start the funding or business case may be there, but more so funding and, and going to the executive management to say, hey, I am going to be on a roll. I'm going to roll out one, two and third version, but each of them will cost you multimillion dollars. So pony up the money because I'm going to keep you current or relevant. I mean, that's going to be your pitch. But looking from a business standpoint, they'll say, why do you have to continue to do one, two, and three? Either you could go slow or you could wait till the time this whole thing comes together before you go ahead and implement. Do you think your business thinks like the way you think as the CIO? Well, I would say that that's why you have to understand you know, kind of the culture of your company and that digital ambition. And you match that digital ambition of your company to your platform. Uh, because if you are moving at one, two, and three, and there are millions of multiple millions of dollars of investment, and those things are going faster than the business can absorb, you'll be seen as the person on the seventh ring of Saturn. Right? And you won't last long doing that. And so your digital ambition, your personal digital ambition as a CIO, as a technologist, has to match that of your company, or else, you know, all bets are off. And so I think. If your company is willing to do that multiple millions of investment in versions one, two, and three, and that's their ambition, then you'll be fine. Um, like I say, in an industrial gas company, that's not our ambition. So we will build the first you know, flavor of the platform, version one, and version two will not be a million-dollar, multi-million-dollar uh, adjustment of version one. It will be substantially less. And so what you'll think about is we'll be, we'll be building components of the digital platform. So think of the digital platform from an industrial company, an operating company perspective, as a collection of capabilities which allow me to deliver digital things in my key focus areas. And the way we think about it from a an operating company perspective, we think about there's only there's five focus areas that we're going to focus on digital. We're going to focus on supply chain. We're going to focus on operations. We're going to focus on business process. And we'll focus on external uh, ecosystems with our customers. And we're focusing in, in those four areas around building three fundamental capabilities to either increase our capabilities to scan or sense what's going on in each of those four focus areas, you know, uh, provide analysis based upon the scanning of, of, of the data that gets generated from those four focus areas and ultimately providing actions. And we call that our SAW model. So it's really about sense, analyze, act in those four focus areas built on a flexible digital platform, which is going to be built 
based upon building blocks of, enab- of increasing our ability to do either sensing or scanning. You know, that's the IoT play. Analysis based upon the stuff we get from the sensing and scanning, providing, you know, machine learning, you know, deep analytics, et cetera, and then ultimately providing ways to act, either that through robotic process automation or through visualization to get some human to act. So when you think about it from a, a platform perspective, we're going to be looking at components or building blocks to create our ability to sense, analyze, and act across those four fundamental focus areas. That's why our version one and version two is really going to be around enhancing capabilities in those three areas of sense, analyze, and act, not necessarily about ripping out the platform and building a second one. Would you think, or rather, let me ask you this question, shouldn't every company have a personality and that to a type A personality so that they always are trying to maximize how far they can go as at least a for-profit organization. And if at all the answer to that is yes, then shouldn't we working towards the potential of what's possible versus just limiting ourselves to what people at the top said? Maybe they are holding back. Maybe they are complacent. Should we be approaching our investments towards oh, this is who we are, but in order for us to become what we want to become, which hopefully would be better than what's today, should we shed that complacency? And if if the business is not waking up or, or rising up to the potential, then you as the CIO could go and give them ideas and make them run faster. What's the wrong? What's wrong with that? Um, I think that that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, what, what I would tell you is this, is that, you know, I've created a concept around what I think, you know, you know the habits of an effective IT professional. And I, there's, there's several habits that we have to have, right? The first habit is I think we've got to be really great IT professionals, right? And that, and that to me means triple D. That means you have to have a, a business acumen, you have to have industry acumen, and you have to have technology acumen. And you have to have them in the appropriate components. I think, you, you know, your business and industry, the higher you get in IT, the more that has to be. And so you have to understand what business you're in, how do we make money. You have to understand what industry and where is our industry going um, and what what's driving the outcomes necessary for customers that are being served by the industry. And then ultimately, how can technology help and accelerate you do, delivering those things? That's just one of the habits of being a triple D professional. The second one is I think you have to be, you know, I think you have to challenge your business. And this gets to the area where you, but appropriately challenge your business. And so by, un, by being that triple D professional, then you know where to push and where to pull uh, your business. And so if you understand the nature of business, you can be the type eight, you can push the envelope, but you have to appropriately challenge your business. And you do that, I think, again, by earning uh, your right to do that by being a great business professional, a great industry professional, and a technology professional. Then you've earned the right to challenge your business appropriately. So I think uh, that's just one of those seven great habits. I think then we ought to be, you know, from the third, one of the third habits, I think uh, we just have to be disruptors, right? And so I think IT uh, and technology can be a disruptor, you know, in your business and in your industry. So you have to think about how do I disrupt and how do I disrupt appropriately? You know, again, you know, it's like the famous book, disrupt or be disrupted. So I think we have to be thinking about that from an IT perspective, what disruption is coming that we may not see. 
And so we can do that. I think the fourth thing is we have to be educators, right? And so we've got to educate our business on the art of the possible. What's, you know, because they don't know what they don't know. So uh, for us being, you know, going out there and seeking and having the right degree of curiosity from a technology perspective, we can help educate, you know, our businesses. I think the fifth habit is really around you got to be a really great advocate. All right, uh, you got to be an advocate for your customer, an advocate for your your technologist, right? And you, I think the last half is you also have to be a tough customer. So you need, you have to both to be an advocate for the capabilities and skills that you deliver from a technology perspective, but also you need to equally be your toughest customer. So be tough on yourself, be tough on uh, um, on the people, uh, be tough to ensure that we're delivering the very best uh, quality that we possibly can be. So when I think about you know, what it takes to be a great IT leader. I think about those things and those habits that we have to have. And as you've mentioned, one of those habits needs to be uh, this notion about how do we challenge, but how do we challenge our business appropriately. And, again, I think you don't want to be seen as a, on the seventh ring of Saturn right? because that won't be effective. You know, if, you, if you're out there saying things that, you know, just quite frankly are not consistent with the ambition of the company, um, I think you're going to be running afoul. But if you have – if you've earned – the right between being a great business professional, a great technology professional, and a great uh, business professional, uh, then you can challenge your business appropriately. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the existing and emerging technologies that are available or coming available. What do you do to go about selecting the absolute best possible tools that your organizations will need today and also to be at least relatively ready for tomorrow. You cannot call it future-proofing because that would be like having a crystal ball, but at least you can do something which will allow you to not create a lot of throwaways as part of your um, technology stack, if you will, that you develop. How do you go about doing it? Please stay tuned. Listeners, we'll be right back and explore. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise.
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Earl, we have so many technologies floating around, and I go moderate events across the globe, and one of the biggest things that comes up is people say, I do not know if I can stop new technologies from coming in, but each one is looking better than the other, looks more promising than the other. When do I uh, put a stake in the ground and say, this is going to be my technology stack, and when can I relatively not stop, but at least pause going to the business to say, hey, I've got something new which can do more for you, so show me the money. How do you tackle this? I think that's a great question, and I'm not sure that there actually is an answer to that one. But I will say it this way, is that uh, I think as a IT professional, uh, you have to have what we call, you know, the technology discernment. And you've got to really be able to separate architecture from architecture, right? And so architecture is that stuff which promises, which never delivers, and we've all been bitten by that bug, uh, versus architecture, which is actual technology that's deployable, uh, runs in real time, and delivers the performance uh, um, and the features and functions that uh, we need to be successful. Uh, ultimately, I call it the buyer's paradox. A lot of times people buy technology from, you know, looking at the look and feel first, understanding that it's on the latest technology, uh, making assumptions about features and functions, then ultimately, you know, saying, hey, this is a demo. When you get this installed in your data center, it'll perform like mad. Uh, but what we realize is that once you've implemented that paradox, actually comes the inverse. Performance matters, number one. You know, does this thing do, you know, does it perform well? Two, does it have the features and functions that I need to have to accelerate my business to achieve those outcomes? And the last two things about technology and look and feel, uh, those things really fall to the wayside. So I think this notion of technology discernment and being able to separate, you know, architecture from architecture is essential uh, to you being a successful and picking that right technology for your business. The second is, is you got to be humble. Uh, you realize that you're, it's impossible to get it right 100% of the time, uh, so you have to build and make solutions or make decisions that aren't inevitable. Um, and so always look for things that give you flexibility, things that allow for you uh, to pivot uh, when necessary. Um, it's like the first law of holes. When you're in one, stop digging. Um, and so sometimes we fall into technology holes and we you know, we, we don't really obey that first law of holes. Um, and I think it's, uh, and we've seen many, you know, you know, billion-dollar implementations that didn't avoid uh, or didn't pay attention to that rule, the first law of holes. So I think you have to be humble and recognize that when you're in a hole, stop digging um, and then pivot. Um, and then lastly, you know, kind of make sure that the decisions that you make, you know, enable as much as possible plug and play. You can't always have that, um, but, you know, where you can, you want to be able to plug in the right technology and have it play, um, you know, immediately as ter- in terms of delivering those outcomes. And so, you know, try not to make limiting decisions uh, wherever you possibly can. And so you're recognizing that potentially, especially in this digital world, that, you know, homogeneous uh, versus heterogeneous, um, you really going to th- you really need to think about heterogeneity and saying how do I build a flexible architecture that allows me to flex and pivot and take advantage of new technologies and new capabilities as they become relevant to my business and as they approve that they move from architecture to architecture um, and I can apply that to my business. And so that's the way that I've done it. 
Um, and that's the way we try to make our decisions. Um, and so we, you know, whether it is, you know, deploying cloud-based services, whether it's deploying application-based services, or whether it's deploying microservices, or whether it's deploying off-the-shelf software, you know, we look across that entire, you know, spectrum, ensuring that we, you know, we, we purchase for performance and for features and functions and for flexibility to work in our, you know, in our environment so we don't end up with this homogeneous thing, which is inflexible. So while, of course, this was a good description of what would be the philosophy behind it. Now, when you did, or I'm sure you are even currently working on keeping your digital business technology platform most relevant, what are your core specific guidelines in your context, which are working out for you? And before you actually had this guideline or playbook fully cooked, what were some of the gotchas or mistakes or pitfalls that you encountered so people learn from it? I, I agree. I mean, I mean, that's a great question. Well, I won't get into specific vendors, uh, but I will tell you that, you know, uh, you know, as we looked and we went to the cloud and we went to the, you know, the usual suspects and started to talk about specific uh, capabilities, uh, I mean, we dipped our toe in the water um, on multiple occasions. Um, and, you know, w when it comes to deploying servers or deploying you know, specific capabilities in certain cloud providers and understanding how do you make those cloud contracts work. Um, you know, we started, we stubbed our toe a bit uh, in understanding how cloud bursting works and understanding how do you contract and manage for servers in the cloud and ensuring that those servers uh, don't run amok um, and that you ensure that you monitor those things effectively and turn down servers that are no longer necessary. So, you know, you need to, you have to, if you're going to build this flexible architecture, you also have to build it with guardrails, or, or else, um, you know, things will go. And, uh, things can get out of crazy, and costs can run um, crazy as well. So I think, you know, yeah, that's what we've learned: is you have to put the guardrails up, you have to test for utilization, um, and you have to have the right contract language so that you have good control over data ownership. You have good control over performance in SLAs where you can. You have good controls over your ability to move um, if you need to move. Um, and you have good controls over the types of uh, subservices that you consume that also could make it difficult for you to move if you don't build those subservices with the ability to transport, transport them easily. So those are the, some of the lessons learned that we that we got uh, is making sure that you do those things the right way uh, because if you don't you could create vendor lock in which creates pricing elasticity issues and ultimately may compromise your security and your performance and if you want to avoid all that start with that at the beginning. What do you think is the place for legacy systems which I know if it were a digital native, they would cringe at the idea of having any, and that's why they are, you know, able to move things quickly. But mature organizations, they build systems over the years, they keep working, that's what we call legacy. They are seeing that there is no direct value in just trashing all of it and going afresh, so that's why they exist. So if I were to start defining the digital business technology platform, how do you justify an ongoing and a long-term existence of legacy systems? And 
how do you apportion your budgets so that eventually you are not left with any legacy if you think that's justified? What, what, what's your position on this? Uh, my position on that uh, is I think that's probably overplayed uh, in terms of legacy systems um, needing to be eliminated in order for you to achieve your digital vision. Uh, and so the way I thought about this question, I think about it from various ways. I think the way you deal with your legacy systems either uh, through manual interface all the way up to replacement. So I think there's a continuum. Uh, some of these systems are in place and they need to stay in place because of the services that they provide. And you may need to manually, you know, via, you know, Pete the Mechanic way, you know, take some data out of it, put it into your digital component so that you can service those digital needs, um, you know, all the way through to replacement of those legacy systems. Uh, because I fundamentally think digitalization and maybe we start to define digital. Digital, to me, is, again, about, you know, how do we operate better? How do we drive le- better levels of experience, better levels of productivity, better outcomes for our business, uh, leveraging digital technologies, not necessarily only about becoming more digital. And so it's not about the systems. It's really about the experience. And I think we've got to think about the right way to do uh things in our business, whether it's with old technology or with new technology, um, and surround those things or leverage those things in our delivery of our business so that we understand that we're getting the outcomes that we want. So don't limit your thinking to just screens and interfaces, because I think a lot of people say, okay, digital means a mobile screen or something like that, uh, or some sort of interface. Uh, It could mean anything. I mean, retrofitting an existing legacy capability is digital. You know, so putting IoT sensors on a legacy motor to help you understand what that motor is doing is digital. So the legacy system stays. It's a huge capital investment. What I do is I retrofit digital on top of it, and that's what we've done. So we apply digital, you know, in terms of IoT, Internet of Things, you know, onto uh, an existing legacy platform, and then we take the digital feed off of that and we help do better predictive maintenance on it. So it's really about a retrofit strategy than it is a replacement strategy. And if you can do that with physical hardware, you can do that with systems as well. So think about the retrofit opportunity for some of your core systems versus a replacement opportunity, and then that starts to lead you down the path, hey, I can be digital and still have COBOL. And so I think this whole notion here is if you think about the journey and journey mapping as a practice and you look at journey mapping of your employees, of your customers and your products, not just, just, not just your customers, but think about your employees, think about your products, what, what journeys they're on. Understand where the moments of truth are along the journeys of your customers, employees, and products. Then understanding where I can retrofit or, or put in new digital technology to improve the experience of that employee or that customer or that product throughout the process, and you can be digital. That's the way to think about it. So, of course, at that technology, specific technology level, there could be some shifts or changes that as the time goes by, as you see, future versions come with more capabilities and more relevant versions, you would want to adopt it. But then when it comes to the very architecture, do you think we could have some staying power of a technology architecture which we can envision, which which is basically going to transcend 
and or be sustained through the different shifting customer priorities and business models that you see as part of this whole digital world? Yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, does it mean is there some standardized technology architecture? I, I doubt it. Uh, you know, I think when we when we think about the evolution of technology, we think about the evolution of the computer, we think about the evolution of the PC, we think of the evolution of silicon. You know, you know. Uh, other than there being electricity being required, uh, you know, and that's and maybe you know that's with once you go to light, uh, that's a different way of, of of communicating and moving things. And so I don't know that you can say one thing is going to be consistent throughout the evolution of this thing, especially if we go to quantum and these other things. So, you know, I think you know, you know, digital and digitalization means many things to many different people. Therefore. You know, the components of the architecture and the technology required to deliver their version of digital is going to be different. Um, and so I think we got to go back to that export versus explore and understanding where we are. And I, again, you know, I don't think anything can be 100% export or 100% explore because I think you, you, you cut yourself off from other opportunities within your business. Um, but if you have that appropriate balance between export and explore, you understand what it needs to be for your business. You can drive technology commonality for a short period of time where you need to, but then be prepared to pivot. And so for us, you know, as, as we think about it, you know, we're, we're going to focus on uh, a, a primary provider of our cloud services. And so we've got that in place. And so we've got good contracts. We've got good things in place. And so we're working with them um, to deliver our services uh, on that platform uh, as we expand our ability to scan, analyze, and act. Um, but as we, if we need to incorporate another platform, uh, another basically brick in our overall digital platform in this amorphous view of what the platform is, um, we will. Um, and then we'll work out ways to ensure that that next building block can interoperate with our current building block. And that's the way we think about it. Um, and it's a building block at a time, uh, and the building block will create the platform, uh, but that because we're using a building block component strategy, we can add additional building blocks as needed to enhance our capabilities of our overall platform. So our platform, you can think of it as an amorphous shape that shapes and, and, and configures and contorts over time based upon the needs of the business. And sometimes we'll take blocks out, other times we'll put additional blocks in. Uh, and so today we're, you know, we do that with, you know, IoT technology. We do that with analytical technology. We do that with RPA technology. We do that with, you know, software, you know, as a service technology. So we take these various technical components and we plug them into our platform, and then they become part of that platform that helps us again deliver against those four business outcomes. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And while what we discussed was a technology architecture, which, of course, could be called as a block in that big castle that we may be building. But let's talk about, after we come back, is about the blueprint, the enterprise architecture, which is a little more holistic. It is a little more accommodating. Are we in a position, are we the type of artists today who understand digital enough, even as it will morph, so that we create that enterprise architecture, which doesn't have to be dramatically changed for us to be at least partially future ready. Is that a possibility? What's missing or what needs to be done? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore.
Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Earl, when we look at technology as building blocks, yes, understand there could be shifting, and you might replace one block with other. But when we are talking about keeping sustainability of a business and uh, some uh, science to this magnet or some maturity, then shouldn't we be looking at having semblance of a relatively good accommodating enterprise architecture type of blueprint, which everyone would then adhere to? Do you think digital moves but not, not move enough for it to require a shift in the enterprise architecture every now and then? Do you think, how do you, how do you see it? I see that I think we need to future-proof our investments, right? Uh, so as we make these investments in these various building blocks, uh, we need to future-proof our, our investments. And, and we do that uh, the way that we do it here is we apply patterns. You, know, you call it uh, architecture roadmap. I, I call it uh, more of a pattern. And so I try to do more patterns because I think, you know, if you think about a pattern, and a pattern I think is a collection of technologies, processes, people, and you can add culture to that. Uh, but a technology pattern has this notion of architecture processes and, and I'd say people. Uh, and so we create these technology patterns and then those guide our architecture. So as long as something is, can fit within the pattern uh, and the pattern is tailorable because we use the word pattern so we think about it like a suit. You know, a suit has a certain pattern associated, but it can be tailored uh, to meet the needs of the individual wearing that suit. So not everyone wears the same suit, but all suits have the same pattern, right? or a set of suits has the same pattern. And so what we try to do is we try to create these architectural patterns or technology patterns, um, which allow for us to future-proof our investments so that we make sure that the things, these are adaptable and changeable, but they fit a consistent pattern, which allows for us to maximize reuse, 
maximize uh, the longevity of our investments, um, and then ensuring that we're able to meet the needs of the business on a going forward basis. So if you are looking at the next wave of where we are going, and along with that, people are constantly talking about talent as a gap. Right. And so much so that even the people who you would have otherwise thought they could train in this new breed with new skills, actually there are no trainers available because it's so new. So who's going to train who? How are you going to build a talent pool which will be able to support the shiny new platform that you're talking about? Great question. The, the way that I think about it is this way. I think about it in terms of, I think we all have the responsibility or, you know, leadership as a responsibility for workforce management and planning. And so we begin with the, a, a concept of planning for this new platform. And so uh, I think you have to know what you have. So you start with a good inventory of the skills and technology capabilities that we have. Um, and then uh, you then know what you need to to have added to that uh, set of skills and capabilities to order support the new platform. And so, you know, you, you know, you st- if you think about it, simple workforce planning, and I've got a set of skills with a set of proficiencies and level of expertise, that sets my baseline. Then I know and I understand what technology I'm introducing, what kinds of capabilities I need and levels of proficiency that I need. I chart that out. And then I do something unique kind of in our business. We give our people an opportunity to go close the gap themselves. And so I'm a big believer in investing in people. And so if I can give you, here's a target that I need. I need this skill set, you know, you know, associated with this particular technology, whether it's, you know, let's call it robotic process information, uh, process automation, um, because we've now started headed down this path with this particular vendor. This is the type of skills we need. We don't have it in-house, um, but I have a need, and I'm looking for three experts in it. Um, so we'll go, you know, we'll rent uh, several experts, but we'll also give an opportunity for our, you know, team members who are excited about that particular technology to go become experts themselves um, and then self-nominate themselves to go close that gap. And so when we think about this from a workforce planning perspective, we know what we have. We kind of know what we need based upon where we're going. We let people self-nominate on how they're going to close that gap. And then we start to figure out, do we need to close that gap by either hiring or renting expertise as needed? So that's the way we think about it. Uh, and, and you find that it's, it's amazing when you, when you give people opportunity to self-nominate, you may find out that you already have some experts that you just didn't know about. So, you know, especially in larger teams, um, you, you, you'll have people who are hungry about doing this. And those people are hungry who have, again, that triple deep investment in your company, um, giving them that extra additional technology skill to complement their deep industry and business skills is a winner. So your response assumes that people are going to, and then there are people who are self-learners. I give you that. Now, would you think with the new newness of what we are looking at, the very novelty of new disruptions happening, is, is your workforce planning going to be dependent on the positive thinking that there are people who are self-motivated and if you call upon their, their uh, zeal towards the profession, there will be 10 hands which will be just about enough for you to get your job done? 
or you're going to become intentional about building a university or some form of a, a learning mechanism so that the technology may exist, but you are not sitting waiting for the talent to execute it because it has to be a little more than wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why the plan has got a specific set of needs uh, that say that, I'm, okay, here's what I'm going to need. I have this group of employees who possess the zeal. I'm glad you said that because they do have, we, I mean, let's not discount our employees, right? So we have some employees that have the zeal who can go close that gap quickly. That's, a, that's one element of our strategy. The other element is, you know, we're going to have to go and we're, we have a continual source of, of new people coming in, whether it's interns or new hires, then we're hiring for certain skills. Um, and then we can also go out and plug the gap or fill the gap with um, consultants and strategic hires or, you know, that where we need to. So, you know, I think it's a combination of all of that. It's a combination of, you know, zealous employees, new blood coming in that are, you know, part of our intern and new hire program, you know, leveraging consulting and rental skills where we need to, um, and leveraging our partners. It's a combination of all of that because this this is moving so fast. Uh, there's no way that you're going to be able to correctly predict the amount of skill that you're going to need and have it, you know, waiting to be developed, you know, in some timely manner because you have to move fa- much faster than that. So, but I do believe zealous employees do are a component that I think is often overlooked. So don't overlook your zealous employees. You know, don't overlook. You're a steady in-stream of new talent, new new folks through your intern programs, and that kind of stuff that brings some of these new technologies to you. And then leverage consultants, um, you know, and, you know, rentals, if you want to call it that, uh, as you need to. And But also your partners. Uh, your partners is, is a great source of talent. So, you know, that's the way that I, I think about it. And I, and I think that that allows for us not to uh, leave people behind. Uh, and then, you know, especially the zealous employees, and I love that because zealous employees also equals engaged employees, by the way. <laughs> and so if you're doing this thing the right way, you'll have a higher degree of employee engagement and you will get better outcomes for the projects and services and technologies you will deploy. And just to reiterate on the very novelty and the newness of it, so even though you have zealous employees and then some consultants who claim that they can help you, which is, of course, that's what they, they will learn on the job or, or they'll do other yeah. things. Do you have a benchmark to say who is blowing smoke or who is trying to just be Hercules? And and is that enough for your projects to be uh, started? Maybe you, you are you not better off waiting for that project to start when you have a threshold level of skills available versus saying, OK, let's jump in. Let's see whatever whatever happens. We'll figure it out. I mean, I mean and, and, and appreciate you being provocative there. I think that's the right provocation is that, you know, I mean, is it a timing thing? I don't think you'll be given necessarily the luxury of time. So sometimes you'll have to execute with what you have. I mean, I would love to wait till I have, you know, you know, Tom Brady plus Ezekiel Elliott plus. Yeah, no perfection know, needed. Yeah, uh, I agree you know, with you. You know, not going to happen, right? So, so sometimes you got to go to the war with the team that you have. So, I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, and I think what you have to do is just you have to manage expectations when you're doing that. And so, if you manage expectations effectively, um, I think you can be very successful. So, you know, I, 
I think that's just uh, that's just you, there's no such thing as, as you're, you're always going to get the people right. Uh, you're always going to get um, you know the technology right. So I think the same way you have to be flexible about your technology, the same way you be flexible about people, right? And so that as you start down this path and recognize that first law of holes, when you're in one, stop digging. And so and I love the way that uh, I think uh, Ray Dalio talks about it in his book. Um, Principles is that I mean those you know making those tough decisions with people uh, are tough, uh, but you have to do it. I mean it's the best for the project, best actually for that individual, and the best for yourself. So that if you recognize that you're in a hole again, the first law of holes when you're in one, stop digging. Um, you know this person is not the right person for the project, doesn't have the right skills. Uh, you you need to uh, give them another opportunity to be successful elsewhere where their talent aligns with the the need that's needed uh, because that's the leadership challenge if you didn't put somebody into the best um, possible position for success that's a leadership challenge and you need to f- recognize that and then fix it in yourself and give that person another chance to be successful either in your company or someplace else depending on what the situation is um, but then also you deserve that project to put the right people in that project so that the team members that are working on it are, are you know aren't suboptimized and the customer who's re- Who's trying to get that project isn't also suboptimized. So those are those are leadership challenges, and I think as leaders uh, we owe it to the project, we owe it to the customers, we owe it to the team that's working on that project, and we also owe it to the individual to put people to their best and highest possible use. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's talk about the partnerships because when we are in today's day and age so externally focused and we exist because of our ecosystem, that means it's not about just technology building blocks that you need for company internally, but we also have to look at the technology integrations because different organizations may have their own approach to building their own technology portfolio for the digital business. And then also about the data exchange, whether it's happening uh, through through two different on-prem databases or data centers, or it's happening in the cloud or in whatever in between. What is being done in that regard? And what is uh, Earl doing is in, or in his own organization to make sure that the partnerships are mutually beneficial and they're all thriving because we are taking good care of the digital business, which is powered by the right type of integrations and data exchanges. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. 
predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So let's dig into the partnership side where they all may be your ecosystem partners, value chain partners, who need to also move their agenda forward. But at the same time, you all have to work together like different households in a village to make things happen. And when you're talking about technology integrations and the data exchanges and many other type of uh, handoffs, how do you keep that? One is to build it once, but in this case, it's going to dynamically shift in the digital business. How do you bring different partners along, especially when they are thinking, of course, about their own benefit first before mutual benefit? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, we're a B2B business, and so as an industrial gas supplier, uh, we provide our products, you know, uh, in multiple ways to our customers, and so, and we service multiple different marketplaces and multiple different sizes of customers, uh, et cetera. So, you know, we have a wide variety of customers. In fact, in one of our businesses, there's 70,000 customers. So, as we think about, you know, uh, how to service those various different customers or, or partners, and, and as they go down their digital journey and when they want us to participate, uh, we just have to uh, work with them, um, you know, as a channel master, uh, can we in fact create a common platform for us to create this digital partnership. Uh, I think luckily our business is fairly uh, standard and simple depending on what you're trying to get from us, uh, so those interfaces and exchanges can be quite simple. Uh, as I think a little bit more broader about partnerships, and this comes not only from business partnerships, from technology and strategic partnerships, I think we have to apply what I call the five E's. We have to educate ourselves on what those partnerships might bring. we got to get exposure to the various partnerships that might be out there new. There may be some new partnerships as we look at more services and expanding our businesses either horizontally or vertically with our customers. Then do some exploration with those potential, potential ways of expanding our business. You know, Think about the out of the possible with those partnerships and experiment and test and learn, and then ultimately execute with speed, you know, leveraging, you know, DevOps and Agile and different ways of trying to deal with these various digital partnerships. So I think for us, this is going to be a new, uh, the digital business partnerships will be a new kind of entree to our, our business model. And I think since those things will be new, we'll have to, you know, have be educated, be exposed, begin to explore, then experiment and ultimately execute to deliver the right uh, integrations to take advantage of those new partnerships. Now, with all of these things changing, and we know um, with change comes vulnerabilities, with change comes security and business risk. So if you are looking at digital business to thrive and move at the speed of a Ferrari, you still want to feel confident that when you need to apply brakes, your brakes work. So what is your approach to thinking about your technology platform 
such that security is literally going hand in hand or for that matter embedded as a fundamental um, component of that technology stack. And then when you're looking at a business level as a digital business, security is not seen as just an IT play in the minds of the business leaders, but seen more as a risk management play. So all the blessings you need, all of the adoption challenges, which typically security leaders always complain about, we are able to help remove them. And that's where maybe a CIO's role also comes handy. How are you tackling that? Uh, we're tackling exactly the way you've just described it as part of your question is we're building it in. And so we have to build in testable code, securable code, um, you know, based upon, you know, small components, you know, having this micro-governance mindset. So we're taking uh, a micro-governance strategy to looking at user stories, epics, et cetera, um, and having that product mindset for the things that we're going through. So we have product owners and, and those kinds of things, and then they're building their user stories and their backlogs. And inside the execution of those backlogs, we're building testable and securable code. I mean, that's fundamentally what we're doing, um, and we're leveraging uh, new ways to think about how do you build testable code uh, and, and so that you can really get at the DevOps and, and think about DevSecOps. So, so I'm building stuff that's designed to run well and to be secure, you know, and leveraging the DevSecOps model to build testable, securable code. That's, I mean, you got to build it in. Uh, you have no chance if you don't do it that way. So one last question, 30 seconds. If you were to give your advice based on your own journey, and I'm sure most of it has been successful, what would you say to other leaders who are trying to build their digital business technology platform? What leadership mindset they should carry? What top level like, you know, working with the executive management-related strategies that you recommend, but in very distilled form so that people can apply them. So I think there's a couple of key things. The first thing is, you know, you know how do you build kind of a, a platform with staying power? I think the answer to that is you don't, right? I think you build a platform a set of build, a platform based upon a set of building blocks, recognizing and anticipating that it's going to change. That's number one. You recognize and anticipate that it's going to change. Number two is you begin and you match your digital ambition with that of your with your company, uh, and that way you you're aligned and you get business buy-in uh, and delivering this thing the best way you possibly can. Um, and the third thing is I think is this last thing we talked about: you build inside uh, the things that you deliver inside your platform testability and securability, uh, because this digital world. Um, is going to move fast, um, and I think the challenges in the threat landscape is going to move as fast or faster. So those are the things you have to do. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Earl, for sharing your thoughts on how an organization can really think carefully and also build a robust and scalable technology platform for the digital business, which has staying power and which can actually be flexible to accommodate what comes next. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CTN. Please share to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn community. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. 
Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.